If you would please first turn to Ezekiel chapter 29. Ezekiel 29. Very interesting passage in relationship to the message this morning. Please listen to the holy infallible word of God. Starting at verse 1. In the tenth year, in the tenth month, On the twelfth day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face against Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and prophesy against him, and against all Egypt speak and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt. The great dragon that lies in the midst of his streams that says, My Nile is my own. I made it for myself. I will put hooks in your jaws and make the fish of your streams stick to your scales. And I will draw you up out of the midst of your streams with all the fish of your streams that stick to your scales. And I will cast you out into the wilderness, you and all the fish of your streams. You shall fall on the open field and not be brought together or gathered to the beasts of the earth and to the birds of the heavens. I give you as food. Then... All the inhabitants of Egypt shall know that I am the Lord. Now, as we continue in our series in Mark, if you would turn to Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. Mark's 1, 16 through 20. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we are reminded of the wonderful evangelistic message of the gospel in which Christ himself formed and shaped. We ask, O God, that we who confess the good news, that we would be uplifted, 
by the foundation of the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ and its continuing march going forward in this world. Encourage us as thy church, as thy people, in the message that comes to us in Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Fishers of men, fishers of men, what a wonderful metaphor that Christ uses concerning evangelistic discipleship, as he calls Simon Peter and his brother Andrew to follow him. If you have been raised in the church, most likely this metaphor is fixed in your mind ever since you were a child in Sunday school. Sunday school or even perhaps vacation Bible school included fun exercises of cutouts, coloring of fish, men fishing, fishing nets, boats on a seashore. These are wonderful exercises to present to our covenant children in the Lord about the importance of the call of the gospel and its evangelistic message. As this dramatic narrative comes upon us in the flow of Mark's narrative, It should capture our hearts here this morning as Mark's profound message of the good news. Of the good news is about to take off in the mission of our Lord. As we noted in an earlier message, Mark immediately gets to the point. He does not waste time. The mission and message of Christ is before us. The good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has arrived. Verse 1. And as we noted last week, tying together verse 1 with verses 14 and 15, the Son of God preaches the gospel of God in light of the presence of of the kingdom of God. Before Paul preached Christ, Christ preached Christ. The glorious good news that is found only in his person. Now Christ's kingdom and good news is ready to be launched in a full cosmic force upon the landscape of history. And where is this cosmic battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan taking shape within the entire universe? Galilee. Galilee. Are you kidding me? 
Mark writing within the vicinity of Rome, the capital city of the world, presents Galilee, not Rome. Mark, in his Jewish roots, Galilee, not Jerusalem. If you're truly going to understand the humility of the gospel and Jesus Christ, you must allow this morning the Holy Spirit to truly impact your heart about this point. As I have stated before, Christ was raised in Nazareth a tiny and insignificant town that was not even on the map at this point in history. No. Since the fall into sin, humanity has gotten caught up in the arrogance of being associated with prestigious cities and places. Cain building a city in defiance against the Lord and giving it the name Enoch after his son. Then comes Babel. Think Athens in ancient Greece. Think Rome in ancient Rome. And it goes on and on into our current era. But there is more about God's providential plan concerning the region of Galilee. For Mark, Galilee captures the integration of the good news and the geographical construct of Christ's kingdom mission and message coming into the world. It is a key to the outline of Mark's entire narrative of his gospel. Simply put, the birth of the Christian church is in Galilee, not Jerusalem. The birth of the Christian church is in Galilee not Jerusalem. Although Mark does not mention the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 and 2, the Lord's providential plan in association with his prophetic word is clearly evident. How does his prophetic word in Isaiah reference Galilee? The reference is Galilee of the Gentiles. Galilee of the Gentiles. From Mark chapter 1, 14 through chapter 8, verse 26, Mark is going to focus on Christ's ministry in and around Galilee. It is a ministry that will interact with Jewish residents there, but also various Gentile residents living in the various areas of Galilee and even other parts of Palestine. 
now. Now the power of Mark the evangelist is really starting to come into view without any ambiguity. The birth of the Christian church in Galilee initiates the gospel immediately going to the nations. As we have noted in one of our opening messages in this series, Mark's gospel following Matthew's gospel serves as the great commission of the good news found solely in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, going both to Jew and to Gentile. Wow. (laughs) It is right here before us. God orchestrates the geographical location for the infant growth of his glorious gospel to all the nations. What is now being fulfilled before your own eyes is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. Abraham's name means what? Father of the nation. That fulfillment is upon us right now in the ministry of Christ in Mark's gospel. Oh, congregation, the time is fulfilled. The long-awaited kingdom of God is now here. Jesus the King has arrived He has been anointed by the Holy Spirit directly to for his three offices of ministry and mission. Prophet, priest, and king. Do you see here in the text, as you're looking at the text in which we read this morning, verses 16 through 20. Do you see here in the text the incredible pomp and fanfare of the king of the universe on display with all its royal stately nobility in Mark's text? Look closely at the text. Is it registering on your hearts? Christ, the king of the universe, presently involved in a cosmic battle with Satan, is simply walking alone on the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. No streets paved with the royal decor of homage, tribute, state nobility. No crowded streets of human cheer and celebration. Christ's humility and servanthood as king of the universe 
baffles any human conception we have about kingship. After all, sinful humanity cannot take its eyes off all the elite theater of kings and queens and leaders that are throughout the world. I ask you this morning, do you truly have room in your life for this type of king? Do you? And why on earth is the scene by the sea? Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7 gives us some good insight to enable us to tie elements together in Mark's tightly woven narrative. Keep in mind the wilderness theme that we have gone over in Mark, that Mark presents from chapter 1, verse 2 through verse 13. Remember in this regard, Christ reenacts the wilderness journey in in the temptation. As the Holy Spirit and his angels secure his endurance against his cosmic foe, Satan, Mark tells us that the time is absolutely ripe for the fulfillment of God's kingdom. The kingdom is here and about to burst upon the horizontal plane of history. Verses 14 and 15. Then Mark takes you, the reader, to the sea. Do you see the pattern here? Christ is victorious in the wilderness. Verses 12 and 13. Then the kingdom begins. Verse 14 and 15. Now we are at the sea. Verse 16. Mark reverses the pattern of Israel in the Old Testament, which moves from the sea, crossing the Red Sea, to a failed kingdom, congruent with a failed wilderness journey. To grasp this reversal clearly, permit me to repeat, the true Son of God, Jesus Christ, emerges perfect, perfect, out of the wilderness journey, establishes his final kingdom of God, and comes alongside the sea this time to truly give birth to the church, which the gates of hell will not prevail against. In other words, in the words of Stephen's sermon. This time, the true type of Moses is not rejected. He is the final ruler, king, judge, and redeemer of his people 
who will do signs and wonders in a land that has both Jew and Gentile living by a sea. It's called the Sea of Galilee. Acts 7, 20, 35 and 36. Not the Red Sea this time, but an island sea of 12 miles in length and six miles across at its widest point. What a contrast to how the world thinks. The world has no place for the gospel message grounded in the king of kings who was walking to his eternal throne upon the beaches of the Sea of Galilee. What king does that? What king does that? And how the world rejects such a humble and servant king. How do we know that the world hates such humility in a king? What did they do to the message of the humble king to Stephen? They stoned him to death. What did they do to the king of kings? They crucified him. But let's return to verse 16 in our text. Jesus' eyes pierce the identity of two brothers. By a sovereign choice, he focuses upon these brothers, Simon and Andrew, who are fishermen casting a net into the sea. The scene is ripe for the revelatory metaphor of bringing fallen humanity into the gospel of God, into the gospel of the kingdom. The foundation of Mark's edition of the Great Commission is before us. The foundation for Mark's Great Commission is, I will make you fishers of men. But let's go deeper here. It is a call to a unique service in the kingdom. It is a call to what we know as discipleship. Jesus is direct in his call. The Greek here is an adverb that has the force of an imperative. Follow me. Come after me. And notice it is Jesus. Jesus. Who makes them fishers of men. 
This is a supernatural and divine call to these brothers in terms of Christ's personal activity upon their lives in the future. It is an irresistible call. You talk about trying to find an example in the Bible about irresistible grace. Here it is. Doesn't get any better than this. Irresistible grace. Christ comes to these disciples. In the final analysis, they will be successful business, excuse me, fishermen, because of Christ working in them through his spirit to secure the repentance and faith of those sovereignly called to the good news. And Mark, in the drama of the situation, places his unique term with respect to their response immediately or straightway, as you may know. They left their nets and followed him. Verse 18. No hesitation. No hesitation in this dramatic event of the call of these first disciples' entry into Christ's kingdom. It must be noted in light of the humility and servanthood of being in Christ's kingdom that these initial disciples are from a lower income group. They are not among the wealthy fishermen in Galilee. We know this because they are not pictured as owning a boat if you look at the text. They are mere fishermen attempting to make a living with this one net. Not so about the next two disciples called James and John. The text notes that they are the sons of Zebedee. There was nothing about who Simon Peter and Andrew's father is, but there is here concerning James and John, which points to the fact that he was a prestigious man in the area. Zebedee was. This notes that they were of a wealthy family. Notice in verse 19, they owned their own boat. And then they went out to follow Jesus. They left their father and notice his father's hired servants. Verse 20, all of this points to the fact that Zebedee had a good fishing business. No mystery here, right? There's no mystery here. The disciples themselves will resemble the future calling of the gospel throughout every walk of life. From the poor to the wealthy. From the poor to the wealthy. All will be welcome in Christ's kingdom, in Christ's church. But underneath this welcome is the chief characteristic of discipleship. Don't miss it. 
Don't miss it. The chief characteristic of discipleship, whether poor or rich, it is on display in calling these central four disciples to Christ's mission. What is that? What is that central characteristic of discipleship? Are you listening? Self-denial. Self-denial. They denied their former life, including being fishermen, in order to follow Christ. As disciples, they must walk away from hearts that are fastened upon the things of this world in order to serve Christ and the mission of proclaiming the good news of God's gospel. According to the divine plan of our sovereign God, the next phase of the history of of redemption is dependent upon these disciples hearing Christ's irresistible call to follow him and immediately surrender everything for the sake of the gospel. But congregation, there is more to unlock about the fishermen and fish imagery by Jesus. There is an important relationship with prophetic revelation that takes us deeper into the common positive results of the evangelistic message of the gospel. This is absolutely critical to note in light of Christ's own evangelistic message In the last phrase of verse 15, just preceding the calling of these first disciples, repent and believe in the gospel. Don't miss that. Prior to the calling of these disciples. Remember, these two imperatives are absolutely necessary for entrance into the kingdom of God and embracing Jesus Christ with all one's mind, heart, and soul. Now, the prophet's representative message message may catch each of you by surprise. In the prophets, Jeremiah... Ezekiel, Amos, Habakkuk. The fishermen are sent by the Lord to catch those who are living in sin and cast them into judgment. There is no doubt that Mark is presenting the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ with this metaphor of the fishers of men in a positive manner 
of bringing sinners to repentance and faith in the good news of Jesus. But we also know that the double imperative which accompanies the proclamation of the gospel throws all who hear the gospel into crisis. One cannot delay. There is no easy believism here. One must confront their sin without deception, without lying. Turn away from that sin in true repentant remorse and trust and rest upon Christ alone by faith as one's ruler, king, authority, judge, and redeemer. As these disciples end their training in the presence of Christ, Mark 16, 7, they will go forth as the founding apostles of Christ's body, the church, proclaiming the gospel as fishers of men. They will see most vividly the call of repentance and faith in the gospel. Some will reject such a call. But through the Holy Spirit, the gospel will bear 30, 60, 100-fold. Mark 4, 8. Are we living? Are you living? in true repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Please, let all of us think about that as we come to the table of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The message has gone forth. Thou hast called those to serve. It's a special call in terms of the foundation of the church. We are upon that foundation the true foundation of Christ and that given unto the disciples and the apostles, we ask, O Lord, that we would never lose sight of the wonderful message of repentance and belief, faith in Christ. We ask, O Lord, that our hearts would be those who are receptive, those who are fastened upon the Christ and his everlasting glory. In Christ's name, amen.